Armstrong. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's been a year and a half, and the the delay was on purpose because I wanted you to see Vaughn as your shepherd, and he's done a wonderful job. Him and Jill, would you give it up for them and just say thank you? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Vaughn, just thank you for allowing me to uh, talk about summer fruit. And what was interesting is I saw on Facebook my picture underneath the summer fruit. I was wondering if you calling me fruitcake or what. I was just trying to figure that out. It's good to see some of you. Some of you have been to Israel with me. Uh, some of you have been here since the get-go. And some of you came from Scott's Bluff to the North Platte location, Sean and Emily. It's so good to see you. Uh, if you don't know these two, I want you to get to know them. They are jewels. They were jewels, jewels, jewels. Take them to lunch. Have them take you to lunch. Have Sean pay for it. And uh, it'll be all, all be good. Well, it's good to be back. Um, it was about four years ago that I was assigned the task to revitalize North Platte Foursquare Church. And it was on the week before Easter that we had or, sorry, a month before Easter that we had known that we were taking this over and on Easter Sunday would be our first Sunday. And Vaughn and Jill came here and did a wonderful job of getting us through that Sunday. That Monday, we received a phone call that all electricity, all utilities of this church were going to be turned off. The Monday after Easter Sunday. And I said, uh-oh. And thank goodness... Thank the Lord for the people in Scotts Bluff that said, we want to keep this thing rolling. And they helped fund it. They helped uh, fund Vaughn to come here. And you guys stayed faithful and stayed giving. Some of you have remained faithful for a long time. And I just want to say thank you. Would you give it up for those people? <laughs> Dick and Sherry and Everett and... Rich and Jan and so many people. I just, I, I, I don't want to miss somebody. I just want to say thank you for being faithful. And when Vaughn asked me to talk about uh, a fruit of the Spirit, and he gave me the plethora of options, uh, I went straight to faithfulness. Because I need to talk to you about faithfulness today. Faithfulness is something that is key to our lives and to us uh, in close proximity to our family, but not only to our family, but to our church family, but most importantly to the Lord. The Lord counts faith as something that pleases Him. Faith is what pleases the Lord. And one of the things that we struggle with is faithfulness in our society. We are in a faithless society, right? All right, let's just talk about this. Let's just get real. If I offend you in America today... What happens? I cut off all relationship with you. I'm no longer faithful to you. We are in a position right now in our culture where we, can, we cannot disagree and still be friends. We've come this far to where if I disagree with one little detail of your identity or your philosophy or your theology, then I can no longer be friends with you. And what that has done, that has dumbed us down to a place where everything goes now. Right. Where the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. Yeah. 
And I can disagree with Vaughn, and I can disagree, and I can disagree, and I can disagree, but I'm telling you, faithfulness is what keeps us in the game. And what I've seen is the lack of faithfulness is translated into our lack of faithfulness to God himself. And so today I want to talk to you about what it means to be faithful to God. Faithful to each other, faithful to your church, faithful. We, we might consider the Greek word for faithfulness. Uh, the Latin word is probably more important to understanding the trait, understanding this identity. From the Latin word we get this word fidelity, which really means summarized in two points, trustworthiness and loyal. So faithfulness in the Latin terminology is to be trustworthy and to be loyal. Faithfulness, faithfulness means to be loyal and trustworthy. Two facts that we really struggle with today in our society, right? Think about this. William Barclay calls faithfulness the virtue of reliability, the virtue of reliability, meaning you can absolutely depend on a person who is faithful. Faithful. So this characteristic, the Bible says, is so hard to find in people. In fact, it says this in Psalm 12:1: Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So even in biblical times, King David's times, he's saying, hey... The godly are gone. Where's the faithful people? We read in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? Who can find a faithful man? Faithfulness. So faithfulness, most of all, is really the nature of God. So where does this come from? Uh, I just want to back up for just a second and tell you that the fruits of the Spirit are disciplines. They are something that you work out. You just don't get them like that, right? Case in point, uh, it's Broadway that comes up and down this place, right? What, what's that? Dewey and Jeffers. How, how many of you have ever prayed for patience and then drove on Jeffers? Anybody here? I was on that last night with Vaughn, and we were going from, uh, where did we, Applebee's to Dairy Queen? and I was stopped at every stoplight. Have you ever had that happen? But when you hit every green light, you're like, yes! But then you get that slow one car in front of you. It's you old people that drive real slow. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Vaughn drives slow too. So anyway, you pray for patience, right? And then you get put in this, this place of patience and you don't have it. Or love, or kindness, or gentleness, or self-control. How many of you struggle with self-control when you get that bowl of ice cream in front of you? Yes, we all have these fruits of the Spirit, but I want to say this. The fruits of the Spirit are not for you. They're for people around you. The same is true with faithfulness. The same is true for faithfulness. It's not for you. It's for those around you. And we live in a faithless society. Faithless in who God is and faith, faithless in other people. 
we do not commit and we do not stick. So this is something that we need to look at. God is absolutely faithful, is my number one point. His faithfulness seems to have been the favorite subject of the Apostle Paul, all the way from uh, 1 Thessalonians, all the way to 2 Timothy. He talked about God's faithfulness. Paul says that God's faithfulness has been with him in numerous experiences of his life. How many times was he shipwrecked? And God yet spared his life? How many times did they want to stone him and kill him? Uh, over and over. Paul admits that God is not, has always been with him. Even though he has not done what God wanted him to do, or what, yeah, what God wanted him to do, Paul said God's love remains faithful. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, God remains faithful. Somebody say amen to that. We cannot miss this point. He cannot deny himself the absolute presence and and, and who God is. He is faithful. That is who God is. God is faithful because he keeps his promises. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Somebody say that with me. God is faithful. James added this way, every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God remains the same. Aren't you glad that we have a God that is constant, always, forever, faithful, even when we are faithless? God never varies. He's constant. He's consistent. God is the God of faithfulness. Evident in our lives, but not only evident in our lives, in the lives of those before us, the Israelites. Over and over and over. In fact, Deuteronomy talks about his faithfulness to the Israelites. It says this, Now therefore, know therefore, that God, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to thousands of generations. God is also faithful to us when we face temptation. Now, have you ever heard somebody say that God won't give you more than you can handle? And they use this verse to back it up. Can I just tell you something? If you lose a child, you can't handle that. I've set, I've, I've buried, I've set with families, I've cried with families, they can't handle it. That verse has nothing to do with what you can handle and what you can't handle. It has everything to do with temptation. Let me read it for you. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to all humankind, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's talking about temptation. It's not talking about what you can handle, but what you are tempted with. And it says this, that God is faithful in those times. That you can flee from sexual immorality. He will give you the ability to flee from pornography, from alcohol, from drugs, from whatever it may be, lust, whatever it may be, gossip, uh, slander, whatever it may be, malice. God is faithful. With temptation, God always provides a way of escape. This is who God is. Somebody say amen to that. He is faithful. We don't always choose the way of escape, but God is always there. And then it says this in James, or in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and He is just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, 
God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. God is faithful to us in many ways, is he not? God is faithful. Number two, we, as followers of Christ, should be faithful too. We should be faithful to my prayers often, Lord, you've been faithful to me. Please find me faithful to you. You've been faithful to me. May you find me faithful to you. It's hard to be faithful in life, but it's so important for us to do. In fact, uh, an Olympic image comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And if you ever go to Israel with me, and uh, you should, it's so important because all, this, all of a sudden the Bible becomes a pop-up book and it comes alive to you and you see things. Uh, Paul, a lot of times he was in prison. Do you remember Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel and these things? And he uses this race analogy. And one of the reasons he uses race analogy is because one of his prison cells in Caesarea Maritime was looking right over the palindrome, which right over the horse and chariot races, and perhaps even races where men were on their feet running around. And when the lions came out to clean off and lick up the remains of the dead ones, uh, he was right there. So we use this image of racing, this Olympic image, and he said this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God is in Christ Jesus. In other words, what he's saying, I'm pressing on with faithfulness. I'm moving forward. This image of the runner is hard to, this, this guy running tells us that the finish line is, is there. We are to go after it. Uh, one of the things I do is I run. I, I work out every day, uh, almost every day, five, six days a week. Uh, and then I run as well. And if you've ever gotten to that point where you're like, I can't do it anymore. Anybody ever done that before where you're on the treadmill and you think I'm going to die if I go another mile? But I find myself pressing. I find myself going extra mile. Why? Because it's so important that, that it's not only in my physical life, but also, more importantly, in my spiritual life. We must cultivate faithfulness. Faithfulness is a race. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a mark. It's that we would press on, that we wouldn't give up. Number one, first we need to cultivate our faithfulness in our families. I've got uh, three, well, I have two teenagers, and one will be a teenager in less than 15 days. I will have three teenagers in my house. Can somebody pray for me? I've got a daughter who's 16 right now. She will turn 17 at the end of August. At, in December, she'll graduate from high school and have almost a year done in college. She is amazing. I'm not ready for her to be out of my house yet. Now, I got two teenage boys, as I said. Man, I can't, they can't grow up fast enough. They smell, they eat. 
they make a mess of things, they leave cupboard doors open. I told them when they turn 18, they're out of my house and they're never coming back. So, anybody have teenage boys ever before? You know what I'm talking about, right? But my daughter, she's, she's graduating soon, and one of the things I realized just recently is I've got less than 150 days with her in my house. It was just yesterday I was bringing her home. Proverbs 28, 20 says this, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. See, in America, in our culture, we got things backwards. As men, we're driven by, we got to provide, we got to provide, we got to work hard, we got to provide, we got to provide. So you go to work, get off work, and go back to work. The second job, a third job, or a fourth job, all the while, we're not being faithful to our families. The author of this verse might have been talking about grandchildren. How many of you, when you get older, you realize that grandchildren are the best thing since sliced bread? Anybody here? If you, and I hear, I hear you saying this all the time. If you could have skipped your kids and just had grandchildren, it would have been great. I want you to know that I'm closer to being a grandfather than I am being a dad, a new dad. And it could be a matter of moments. Okay, I'm going to lock my daughter up for the next five years in a cage. But here's the thing. If you're a faithful man, you provide far more than just bacon on the table. If you're faithful to your family and you remain faithful, 1 Timothy 5 offers strong words, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <gasps> Listen, I know, husband, she makes you mad. I know she torques you off. I know one thing, one time it's okay, the next time it's not okay. And you're about to throw your hands up and say, I'm done, I'm out of here. Where's your faithfulness? Right here it is. Provide for your family, especially members of your household. If you haven't and you're not doing it, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. That verse right there should scare the hell out of you. You must show your example of faithfulness. We have men in the United States of America that are faithless with their family. They jump ship. They don't know how to stay strong. They leave when it's hard. And men, I'm telling you, to stay in the game. Ladies, take it and apply it for yourself. I'm going after the men today. Somebody say amen. All right? Amen. I'm praying for you, bro. She said amen awful loud. <laughs> Proverbs 31, 23 says this, the Lord preserves the faithful. Second, we must cultivate faithfulness in our church family. We have some reliable, trustworthy, loyal people in our midst. Give it up for them. Awesome, awesome. I, I, can't, I, can't tell you, uh, I can't tell you how cool it is to come back and see some of you just hang on 
and you've been faithful, you've been giving, some of you uh, can be sticks in the mud and withhold things and withhold giving because, oh, Vaughn's doing this and Vaughn's doing that. Stop it. Grow up! Right? Vaughn's leading this church well. I'm telling you, you've got a great leader, you've got a great pastor. Get behind him, support him. Even if you don't like what's happening or this or that, heaven forbid. I'll tell you this, there are things in this church that Vaughn doesn't even like. And I'm going to talk to him about them later. I'm just kidding. It's true. We have to be faithful and you've been doing Some people treat the church the same way they treat shopping in a grocery store. Have you ever noticed this? Think about it. Rather than asking, how may I serve, you're saying, how can you serve me? Uh, what kind of bargain can I find? What are you doing for me? How are you going to entertain me today? How are you going to fill my tank? How are you going to do this, this, this? This being faithful means you're part of a church family. And I just like you're part of your own family. Sometimes you got to clean up the mess. Sometimes you just got to get your hands in and get dirty. Sometimes you just got to get... It's important for all of us to understand that faithfulness to the church means finding a place to serve finding a place to get involved. Church is not a spectator sport. Can I just get somebody to agree with me here? It's not a spectator sport. I, I often say it this way. The people who are rocking the boat are usually not the people who are rowing the boat. As part of a church family, every person in here has a job to do. If you are breathing... God has called you to be faithful to your church family. Have you found your place of service? I know that Vaughn does grow track, and I know that he talks about this, and I, I, I want you to go through that. It's so important. But if you're sitting on the margin, and you're not doing the chores in the house, of my house, you'll get, a, you'll get a yell downstairs. Boys, get upstairs. How many of you have had teenagers that half do the job? And you're thinking to yourself, son, if you would have just done the job right the first time, you wouldn't have to be taking another hour to do the job again. And you just have to teach them, you have to teach them, you have to teach them. It's every person's job to make the well-being of a family work. Now... When they're babies, it's our job to take care of them, right? But when they start to turn teenagers, they need to take care of themselves. Pour your own cereal, pour your own milk. Not only pour it, but eat all of it, and then clean out the bowl and put the bowl in the dishwasher. Is that too hard for you to do? Well, Dad, I was in a hurry. Well, take a moment to take it. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. As a church family, every one of us has a job to do. Don't do your job halfway and then leave. Or just come and sit in a chair and just be critical and hypocritical and all sorts of things. It's something about your faithfulness. It tells me a lot about who you are. Faithfulness certainly means that we have the responsibility of doing our part. There's great value in faithfulness. Uh, by the way, is there anything more important than teaching our children about Jesus? Is there anything more important than teaching our children about Jesus? I want to tell you, the church today is not in this room. The church today is downstairs. And I just commend you 
for putting your money, your time, your talents, your treasure in the basement. Because I'm going to tell you, yeah, go ahead, give the Lord a clap offering. And making that a nice home for them. Because you give them 10 years, guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be up here. 15 years, they're going to be up here. 20 years, they're going to be leading worship, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> it may be rap. And you think, what in the world is that? Can't we go back to how great is our God? Oh, that song was, that song, Dad, was millennials ago. But I'm going to tell you, they're going to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ like no other generation has ever reached. And it is our job and it is our duty to pour into them. And thank goodness you have people pouring into the faithfulness of the kids. Number three, the third area I would call your attention to is your faithfulness to God. It's the most important. This is a type of faithfulness from our, is different from our families and from our church family. This is different. Uh, we've kind of have a collective malady of known as ADHD Christianity. Have you heard of that before? Uh, let me talk about this. ADHD is, is part and parcel of life. We allow a thousand things to distract us from our faithfulness. We're certainly hyperactive, always searching for activity. Go, 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 go. Our society is go, 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 go. No lie, this happened today. A couple weeks ago, I came across an article called Have We Turned Ball, B-A-L-L, -L, Baseball, Football, Basketball, Golf Ball, whatever, into Bale, B-A-A-L. Have We Turned Ball into Bale? And I mentioned it from the pulpit, and one of my best friends sent me a text because he was watching on Facebook Live and said, are you talking about us? And I said, why would, I, why would that? He said, because I'm sitting in the stands today. I said, well, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit. I, I have this good enough relationship with him. So I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to la land where it's at. So this morning I wake up. I'm at the Hampton Inn. Uh, my son and I came in last night and we had dinner with Vaughn. I wake up, I go, and I'm getting my breakfast before I come here. And lo and behold... I don't know if you know this is going on today, but Little League State Baseball is here in town. And here comes some Rockites coming through the door to eat breakfast with me at the Hampton Inn. I haven't seen them in like four months. I said, hey, and you should have seen their face. They're Latino. They turned white. I think, I think we neglect the house of the Lord and our Christianity and who we are and what is most important because we're distracted. And all of us have the potential and the propensity to be distracted. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says it this way. Now, great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple verse 33 says this 
So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Get this picture in your mind. Because what Jesus is stating here is in your face. It was in your face to the disciples. It's in our face today. As many people who are following to Jesus, and he turns around on this road and makes a harsh comment. Something that puts people on the edge of their seats and says, hey, if you don't deny your father, your mother, your brother, or sister, you do not even deny your own life, you cannot be my disciple. <gasps> this is a hyperbole in order to stress that no single person in our life is more important than who God is. Not one. This is a way of look. Other relationships are essential. Yes, I get that. But no relationship is more important than your relationship with Jesus. The problem is, is we're so distracted, we don't even spend time with Jesus. If I was to ask you a question today, when was the last time you spent time with the Lord? Most of you in this room would say, ah, last Sunday. When for us, it's a 24-7 relationship with God himself and we all struggle with it including me our relationship with the Lord what does it mean for a Christian to take up his cross does it mean that we have to die for Jesus no taking up your cross means that we must present ourselves as a living sacrifice as a living sacrifice God's primary purpose for our lives is to serve Christ to serve him Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place I'm going to say something and I'm going to I'm going to say it with all my oomph and all of my power and all of my authority it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness not seek first the kingdom of America and her unrighteousness. Not seek first the kingdom of Tyson and the Lambertson household and his unrighteousness. What does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God. As Christians, you are not of this world. You're of a different world. You're of a different kingdom. You're of the kingdom of God. You should live kingdom principles. You should live the kingdom way, the kingdom right, the kingdom power. But you do live in this world, I get it. But you're not of this world. So our thought process, what we say, what we do, how we live, should be completely different and should align with the Lord's promises. Because they're true. They're true. Matthew chapter 25 says it this way. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another to each one his own ability. Then he went away, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he would receive five talents, went at once, and traded them, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, and said, Master, you've delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. 
And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said to the one who had two talents and came forward and said, Master, you deliver me two talents, and here I have two talents more. Now, we can interpret this master being God and this master giving you talents, not only giving you talents, but giving you treasure, not only giving you treasure, but giving you time, talents, treasure, and time. But for the sake of this, he says talents. And I want you to know that you and I have spiritual talents that God wants us to use. Some of you have the talent of criticalness. That's not what he wants you to use. But some of you have talents of greeting. How many of you have ever been around those extroverts that just, oh my goodness, I gotta get away from an extrovert. Anybody here? Okay, just me. Maybe I'm the extrovert that everybody's gotta get away from, Vaughn. How many of you uh, have been around those people who have joy all the time? Joy, 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 joy. And, And they have great joy. They should be the ones that are greeting at the door. I had a greeter at the door. He was just rough and gruff, just kind of mean in Scott's Bluff. And I, I thought to myself, wow, that's a great impression of a church. A mean introvert. Have you ever met a mean introvert? Nope. Right? Well, we had to shift so his talents would be used elsewhere and we put him in a different position called security. <laughs> and he works really well in security. Yeah. But not as a greeter, right? So anyway, you and I have talents. How we use them, how we multiply them matters. How we multiply them matters. The the first two servants had done well with money, investing and increasing them out. The third servant, however, was afraid. And what did the third servant do with his talents? He hit them. And Jesus is warning us not to bury our talents. Let us consider verse 23. It says this, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you in charge over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Other translations in the word of the end of the passage says, Enter into your joy. Enter into the joy of your master. My prayer is that when I enter into heaven, you and I enter into heaven, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, let me just back up because most of you have never heard this. It's never been taught, but I'm encouraging you to take a look at this. This is called the Bema Seat of Christ's Judgment. Here's the thing. When you and I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, your judgment, whether you're going to heaven or hell, has been done. You do not have to give an account of whether you're going to heaven or hell when you enter heaven. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with Jesus. If we are Christians, we must truly believe this, that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died and then he rose again, we shall be saved. Somebody say amen to that. That's what scripture says. That means that we have direct access to the heavenly kingdom. However, you as a Christian will face the bema seat of Christ. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith alone. We're saved by grace through faith alone to a life of good works. Works don't save you. Somebody say amen to that. Works do not save you. Grace through faith alone saves you to a life of good works. In other words, we as Christians will be judged at the bema seat of Christ Did we do what God called us according to what he's given us the talents to do? 
And you will give an account, and you will be based, your rewards will be based on that. And can I just tell you something? I hope that my mansion is close to Vaughn Fahrenbrook's. <laughs> He's done a wonderful job. And I'm going to tell you something. You are just getting ready to go enter into a new season. He's been multiplying talents over and over and over. And when he's faithful with little, he will be faithful with much. Many of you in this room have been faithful with the little. You'll be faithful with much. I truly believe his influence is going to continue to grow. I believe that your influence is going to continue to grow. If you're faithful with little. Here's the thing. We can't have people in the sanctuary burying their talents when their talents can be multiplied. It takes all of us. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? We are of the kingdom, and we're to live kingdom principles. And the kingdom principle I'm talking about is faithfulness. Faithfulness in the small things and faithfulness in the big things. But we live in a faithless society. And I'm calling Christians to live in a faithful manner. We are of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. And so next time you're in a challenging situation or you are upset about something, ask yourself, is this a kingdom? Is this a kingdom principle or is this something that I'm trying to make my kingdom work and fit within? What is it telling you that God is faithful? If I could have the worship leader come. I know this is very important and I don't want to miss this. You could be here today and you'll be walking through this and you realize that you as a Christian, you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to Him, but you are not, you have not been faithful. You have not walked in faithfulness. And the Lord is calling you out, saying, hey, be faithful. Don't bury your talents. Don't bury your treasure. Don't bury your time. Open it up so that I can use you because the kingdom of God is more important than the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is more than important than the kingdom of keeping up with the Joneses in America. And you're here today and the Holy Spirit is, is truly challenging you on your faithfulness. You were a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but you've been faithless. If the thing that pleases God is faith, would your actions show you that you have faith? Or would your actions show that you have faith, faithlessness? If you're here today and the Lord is calling you to a deeper intimacy of faithfulness in your life, would you just raise your hand? Go ahead. I hope that every Christian in this room would raise their hand because I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than faith. What is the level of your faith? Thank you.
Lord, I know I'm raising my hand. I want more faith. To trust you even when I don't understand. Even when it doesn't make sense. May I be found faithful. May I be found faithful to you. May I be found faithful to my family. And maybe I may I be found faithful to my church family. In Jesus' name. Second person that I want to talk to is perhaps one who's never placed their faith in Jesus. You've never said yes to him. You've never given your heart to him. Nobody looking around. That's you today. You walk into this room and there's just something stirring in your gut. Just something like, I need to respond to something. I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus. You need to respond to Jesus. His sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And you need to make him the Lord of your life. Now, before you say that, you got to consider what you're doing. Consider that you're surrendering everything to Him. And if you're not ready, don't do it. But I'm telling you, you don't want to miss out. Because He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And this is important. You begin to live eternity today once you say yes to Him. But consider the cost. You're making Him the Lord over your life. here today and you need to allow make the Lord your Lord and Savior you make Jesus your King would you just raise your hand anybody in this room anybody in this room you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time praise the Lord would you stand with us would you lead us in a song